All right, it's good to see you this morning. If you would take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John, chapter number 3. Uh, while you find your place there in 1 John, I want you to forgive me for going to a, a Bluegrass a Fiddler's Convention last night. Um, they were having the dance contest, the flat-footing contest, and they had all these speaker wires stretched out, and I wasn't interested in that flat-footing contest. But as I walked over there, I tripped over a court, and by the time I got my balance, I'd won third place in the dance contest. <laughs> I want to bring you a message this morning entitled, The Cure for Guilt. The Cure for Guilt. Now, I preached this a message on dealing with guilt a few years ago. This message has got all new points, and I want you to pay attention. They sang that song just now, It Is Finished. And if you'll understand that your sins were paid for on the cross of Calvary, your guilt was paid for, your shame was paid for, you can have victory in Jesus today because guilt is a very powerful emotion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful for the day, for this Sunday that we can come in and worship you. I pray, Father, you would accept our worship now as we open your word and feast upon the blessings of God. Bless each one that's come this way. Bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Our Lord not only created our bodies in the Garden of Eden, but he also created our consciousness. He also created our emotions. Now, everything you know in the Garden of Eden was innocent and love and, and wonderful, and there was nothing in the human dynamic like guilt or shame or hatred, yet, yet those things were in our brain, they just had not been unlocked yet. So God created our emotions, our conscience. The human dynamic in the Garden of Eden could only experience love and caring, understanding, empathy, compassion, gratitude, happiness, hope. Those were all part of the human dynamic. Yet, as man sinned in the Garden of Eden, when he disobeyed God, he fell from innocence. And in that fall from innocence, many things changed. The things that changed, the ground got cursed. The man was cursed. The woman was cursed. The serpent was cursed. And along with this curse came a change in our human psyche. Is everybody with me? And uh, so the woman was cursed, the serpent was cursed, something else changed. I want you to write these down. If you ever take notes on one of my messages, this will probably be one of the most needed messages in your Christian life you've ever had. So number one, let's look at C's, five C's. The cause of guilt. The cause of guilt. The first reason that you and I experience guilt is because of the fall. Yes, in the Garden of Eden, we were created to experience love and compassion, empathy, sympathy, but yet when our minds fail, then we begin to understand hate, jealousy, anger, sadness, depression. But among those negative emotions that came with the fall came two more emotions. One was guilt and the other was shame for that guilt. Is everybody with me? And so Eve was deceived in the garden because the devil deceived her by questioning God's word. He didn't tell Eve to go out and get drunk. He didn't tell Eve to go down and gamble at the casino. He didn't tell Eve to run off with another man. He told her to question God's word. 
And that was the reason for the fall. She questioned the word of God. She she partook of the forbidden fruit. And he told her this. He said, if you will eat that fruit, you will be like God. In other words, Eve, there's a part of your conscience that has not been unlocked yet. uh, And if you eat that fruit, then you are going to be like God. Well, little did she know what she was unlocking. Listen to Genesis 3. For the Bible says, For God, this is the devil speaking to Eve, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, of the fruit of that tree, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, little g, with a with a plural, gods. Knowing good and evil. So he told her a half-truth. Her conscience would then be unlocked and opened, and then she would experience, her and Adam, when he sinned, they would experience all the negative emotions that you and I experience today. So we know that two of those human emotions unlocked was guilt and the shame associated with it. And then I want you to look at the, at the result of that being unlocked in their brain. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. He said, you'll have the knowledge of God. That word knowledge is the word yada, and it means to experience. What he was saying was, Eve, I want you to experience something a little deeper in your disobedience to God. And yet the experience that she had, and we all know, was a bad experience. Amen. And so he told her a half-truth. He told her that he did not tell her of all the negative emotions that she would be suffering. So the first human emotion that she experienced was guilt. Then I want you to notice the next human emotion that she experienced was shame. And the reaction to that shame was to try to hide her guilt. Are you all with me? So she sinned against God. She got the guilt, she got the shame, her innocence was gone, she felt shame for her nakedness, she felt guilt because her innocence was gone, then she tried to hide it. And those three three steps are going to be handed down to you and I because that is the cause of guilt. When you and I do wrong, first of all, we're going to feel guilt for it. Second of all, we're going to feel shame for it. Third of all, we're going to try to hide it. Now David said, blessed is the man who confesses and forsakes his sin. Oh, but listen, cursed is the man who tries to hide his sin, who tries to cover up his shame and his guilt. So begins a long episode of that old nagging feeling, that responsibility that we feel for doing wrong. That is the cause of guilt. Y'all got that written down? All right, here we go. Number two is the consciousness of guilt. Guilt can be a tool. Don't misunderstand me. Guilt can be a tool that keeps us from making the same mistake again. The guilt and the the dread of feeling guilty. Don't you miss this? Guilt can be a tool. The dread of feeling guilty can be a powerful motivator that stops me from doing wrong today. Let me say that again. That guilt can be a powerful tool 
that stops me today from making a mistake because I'm going to realize the remorse that I'm going to experience tomorrow, that can be a powerful experience. Guilt can be a powerful motivator. We don't sin today because we will reap tomorrow the self-regret and the self-reproach of our actions today. So the closer that we walk with the Lord, now don't you miss this, the closer you walk with God, the closer you walk with Christ and the Spirit of God, you're going to reach a higher level of consciousness. You're going to reach a higher level of conscientiousness. You're going to want to do right. You're going to want walk right. You're not going to want to offend the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we develop an overactive sense of consciousness. Is everybody with me? And that overactive sense of consciousness is going to make us feel guilty for things that we didn't even do. So we have to learn to deal with that. So it makes us more meticulous. Our walk with God makes us more meticulous and dedicated to do right. Yet it can cause in us an overactive conscious that consciousness, I guess I should say, that brings on a guilt awareness that is unwarranted. You see, sin is an act of breaking God's law. Sin is an act of a personal moral failure. And when we fail morally or we uh, break God's law, the result is this. There is a breach in our fellowship with God because of our disobedience. Just as it was in the Garden of Eden, there was a breach in the relationship with God, in the fellowship with God. So today, when you and I sin, make mistakes, and we become guilty before God, there is a little breach in our fellowship. Now, the truth is, you can say, preacher, I don't experience that. But the truth is, we all do. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And listen, it happens on a daily basis. So we're going to have to learn to deal with moral failures at times. We're going to have to learn to deal with our errors. We're going to have to learn to deal with our sin and our immorality. We're going to have to learn to deal with that. And if we don't, it can be very, very devastating. Just as physical pain stops us from doing something that would hurt us, so guilt stops us from doing something that would hurt us and ourselves. Amen? Or us and others. I mean us and ourselves. In other words, if my back is hurting and I know that picking that speaker up is going to hurt my back even further, that physical pain, that knowledge of that physical pain is going to stop me from trying to lift that piano. And so guilt does the same thing. It keeps us from, from doing something that we know is going to be harmful. Let me give you an example, probably a bad example. But I, when I told you when I was a kid, I was meaner than the Dickens. And we, we used to play ball and baseball in the backyard. And sometimes we'd foul the ball and it'd go up on the house and roll down in the gutter. The ball stuck in the gutter. Well, we didn't have a ladder. We wasn't even, poor, we wasn't even wealthy enough to have a ladder. So I would climb up in the windowsill, then I'd jump over on the chimney where it, where it tapered in. I'd climb up the chimney, get on top of the house, get the ball out of the gutter, and then to get down, I'd jump off the house. It's about eight foot high, and I was about ten years old, and I could just, just I, don't, I don't advise, do not try that at home. <laughs> but I could jump off the house, hit on my feet and roll, and I was good. And I did that over and over and over. And then one day, I jumped off the top of the house, and my toe hooked in the guttering. 
And as it did, it swung me around in an arcing motion upside down. And I, all I could see was the picture window below me coming up at an amazing rate of speed. And I, it was going to sling me back through the picture window. And I was, in an instant, I kicked my foot, unleashed my toe from the gutter and fell in some bushes that broke my fall. Got up, brushed it off, and went on. But I'm going to tell you something. I never jumped off the house again. <laughs> Why? The fear and the dread of injury. Y'all with me? I told you that story because our guilt does the exact same thing. It is a powerful motivator to keep us from hurting ourselves and hurting others. Number three, going to go quickly here. Not only is there the cause of guilt, there's number two, there's the consciousness of guilt was number two. Number three, there is a case of guilt. Now, here's what got handed down to us from Adam and Eve, our parents. That we know that Romans 3, I've already quoted it, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it's very evident that all of us are going to have to deal with guilt. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse number 10, Whomsoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he's guilty of the whole law. Law. Now, there are 614 aspects of the Levitical law. That covers every, per, every sin. So, I mean, everything is covered in the Bible. So if I'm guilty of breaking one point of the law, then God can throw the book at me. I mean, whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he's guilty, the Bible says, of all. The Bible says this also. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world become guilty before God. So the truth is we have a church full of people who are guilty of sin. Somebody say amen. amen. We do. And, but there is a cure and I'll get to that in just a minute. So we got to understand we have guilt built in, we have remorse built in, we have a conscience built in, and yet God brought about a law, and the first law in the Old Testament. So why did God add the law? Well, I want you to think about this with me. And we're going to go through dispensations just a little bit. In the first dispensation of time, you have Adam and Eve living in innocence, don't you? And yet they failed. And because they failed, guilt comes in. And then you have people under Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're living under human government. And you know what they do? In that dispensation of human government, they fail. Then you have people living by conscience. And when people live by their own conscience, you know what happens? They fail. And so because man had failed in innocence, he'd failed by walking in his conscience, he'd failed by walking in human government, God gives the law. And you know what? I'm going to give you a little bit of, I'm going to give you a short tour of dispensationalism. I didn't mean to do this. So God gives the law. Guess what man does under the Old Testament law? He fails. And then guess what? Christ dies on the cross of Calvary for our sins. He fulfills the law. He gives us grace. And for 2,000 years, we've had grace abounding. Amen. Thank God. But we're failing under grace. 
We're sinning under grace. The next period, the next dispensation that hits is the tribulation period. Man's going to really fail in the tribulation period. The next period, the next dispensation of time is, is a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. Man is even going to fail in that. And God's going to have to step in for the eighth dispensation for eternity. So what I'm saying is that man has failed under every dispensation that God created. But yet, he created the law to make us conscious of our sin. But Paul asked the question, why was the law added? And he, he answers his own question, it was added because of the transgression of man. So now we understand. And today we have people who will not bear under obedience of God. They will not come under and they denounce his Bible. They cover that up they, so they know they're disobedient to God. They know they've sinned against God. They know they're a transgressor by the word of God, and yet they cover that up with pride. Just as Adam and Eve covered their sins with fig leaves, covered their shame, their nakedness with fig leaves, people today try to cover it up with pride. Somebody say amen. amen. Now I want you to think about this. The, the pride that's paraded today in people's sins, what if Adam and Eve had just sinned against God, realized they were naked, and just walked right out in the open in front of God? Like, we're not ashamed we sin. There's no guilt. We have no remorse. You know, I think God would have been very displeased. Let me tell you something about our society. I believe God is very displeased when we flaunt our sin in the face of God. It is human nature. It goes against nature to be proud of sin. Let me say that again. That'll preach. It goes against nature itself to be proud of sin. And yet that is exactly where we are today. David said this about being proud of sin in Psalm 59. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them be even taken in their pride for by cursing and lying which they speak. I'm going to tell you something, there's a danger. Here's the danger to society spiritually against God today. When we sin against God and we're disobedient and we flaunt our sin in the face of God, we kill our, our own conscience to do that, but the Bible gives us a warning that in 1 Timothy 4.2 that God will see, sear someone's conscience with a hot iron. I'm seeing more and more people in our modern society whose conscience has been seared with a hot iron. They feel no guilt. They feel no remorse. They feel no shame. They have no conscience anymore of right and wrong. My heavens, when a society gets to that point, it is absolutely falling apart. And that's where we are. God said they will, they will, he would sear their conscience with a hot iron. On the opposite side of that spectrum, there are religions who use, uh, uh, well, they prey on people's conscience. They heap feelings of remorse on people. Religion can be used as a form of manipulation to modify someone's thoughts, actions, or behaviors. I'm talking about religion. I'm not talking about salvation here. There are unsuspecting people all over this world who pour billions of dollars into Roman Catholicism to pay for their own sin. Let me say that again. There are unsuspecting billions of people in this world 
who pay a system of Roman Catholicism thinking they're paying for their sin. They get guilt heaped up on them, remorse, and they think that by, by opening their pocketbooks they can be relieved of that guilt. Let me just remind you, friend, and I can't help but preach this, the only payment for your sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. God will not accept anything but the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made upon the cross of Calvary. He purchased our sin debt. He put it on his account. Let me remind you this morning that Jesus Christ did not make an installment on the cross and it's up to you to pay the rest of the debt. He did not just make a deposit on your sin. He paid the whole price. His, our whole sin, listen to me carefully, our sin, our guilt, our shame, praise God has been put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we can walk away free, debt free, debt free to the church, debt free to religion, debt free to guilt and shame, praise God you and I are free in Christ. Amen. Glory. And so the only payment for sin is blood, the blood of Christ. Listen to me carefully. Don't you allow anyone or anything to heap up condemnation on you. The Bible says, listen, she's saying this morning, it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he didn't say I made a down payment. He didn't say I placed a deposit. He said I completed uh, salvation for you on the cross of Calvary. It is done. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> but oh, listen. The Bible says, for now, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And if the devil can, if someone else can, they'll heap condemnation on you. Jesus said this in John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, listen to me carefully. He said, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So number four. There's the cause of guilt. We saw that. There's the consciousness of guilt. We saw that overactive conscious. Well, there's the case of guilt, number three. Number four, there is a condemnation of guilt. Now, the Lord just instructed us that there was no condemnation. Paul said there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Let's finish the verse. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus tells us that if we have believed on him, trusted on him as coming from God, trusted on his cross for payment for our sin, that we have passed from death unto life. Now let me tell you something. Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God and partake of that fruit, they passed from life to death. For in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But there's another tree in the Bible, and that tree is the cross of Calvary. And if you partake of the cross of Calvary and the blood of Jesus Christ, you can pass from death unto life. It is exactly the opposite of Adam and Eve. Amen. Thank God. So, we pass from death unto life. We know there's no condemnation, but there are two things. I want you to write these down under that, the last heading. There are two things that stop us from reaching our full potential as a Christian. And those two things are condemnation and shame. Condemnation and shame. 
Let us recall something this morning. Uh, there's self-condemnation with an overactive conscience, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Then there's satanic condemnation. In other words, I automatically, because I'm walking with God, I have a consciousness of sin, and I have a, a, a right relationship with God, and the Spirit is working inside of me, and yet the devil can take my failures and and my self-condemnation, he can multiply that. So there's self-condemnation. There's also satanic condemnation. And so these two things are going to stop us from reaching our full potential as a Christian. In other words, if you experience guilt, listen to me carefully. If you experience guilt and shame and remorse this morning, it means that you have a healthy conscience. At least it's not been seared with a hot iron. At least you have somewhat of a healthy conscience. But there's also unwarranted guilt that we heap on ourselves, or the devil heaps on us. And that's called, as I mentioned before, the overactive conscience. Let me give you some facts on this quickly. Psychiatrists and doctors say that unresolved guilt is the number one cause of mental illness. It's, it also causes suicide. It prompts millions of Americans to gulp down pills to tranquilize their anxiety suffered from guilt. 25% of automobile accidents are people acting in a self-destructive way because they are suffering pain from remorseful feelings of guilt. Let me tell you something. The next time you have an overactive conscience and you feel guilty for something you did and you know you repented of it, you know you've turned from it, you know the blood of Jesus Christ has covered it up, hey, remember this, there's nothing bigger than your God. Amen. There's nothing more powerful in this world than the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something, all the militaries in this world, the nuclear armaments, the power of man, there is nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. I had to turn to 1 John. Here's where I want you to look at 1 John chapter 3, verse number 20. We're talking about self-condemnation here. Self-condemnation. And that's what John is talking about here in 3.20. Let's read it. The Bible says, For if our heart condemn us, what? God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that when you feel self-condemnation over something, listen to me carefully, when you feel self-condemnation over something that you know you made a mistake, you know you felt guilty, you felt shame, you felt remorse, yet you brought it to the cross of Calvary, and you said, Lord, I'm guilty of this. I feel remorse, shame, conviction. I, I plead your blood. I plead your cross. I mean to never do that again. Listen, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Why would I walk around with 
in, in shackles and chains of feeling guilty. Let me tell you something. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done, where I've been, how far, how long this. There are people in this very building, and you've been haunted by something for years that you repented of years ago, and it still comes back to haunt you. Let me remind, look at the next verse. What's this? Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. There is no problem too big, no issue too tall, no sin too gigantic to, that our God cannot take care of. The devil knows. Watch this. Beloved, read it again, 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So what does the devil do? Look at the, let's look at the opposite of it. How does the devil break my confidence toward God? He heaps up guilt. Amen. He heaps up condemnation. And I've seen people walk under guilt. I mean, many, many instances that they couldn't even help. I know one person uh, in particular in my family. Their, their loved one was sick, and when they died, they weren't there. And they felt guilty the rest of their life because they weren't there. I mean, they had waited on them hand and foot, but they just weren't there for that one moment. And now they feel guilty for it forever. Oh, my goodness. That's an overactive conscience. Amen. And sometimes you and I, the devil knows that if he can bring the, and heap that condemnation on us, that it will break our confidence in ourself, it will break our confidence before God, and it will leave us defeated in the Christian life. Oh, my goodness. Guilt can be misunderstood. And the devil loves to heap our conscience and our guilt against us. And we stay defeated. I tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you. One of the most guilty times that I ever felt that wasn't my fault, I was injured. I had broken my neck, basically, busted the disc in my neck. I was debilitated with pain. I couldn't hardly move for pain. I was living on narcotics, laying on the couch, squirming in pain, waiting for six weeks on surgery to open up. I was debilitated. Couldn't do anything about it. And it snowed real deep. And I watched my precious wife, whom I have taken care of pretty good, you could tell by looking at her, that I take better care of her than she does of me. And I watched her as she goes out and gets the piece of equipment out of the barn, hooks up the snow blade, and she begins to plow the driveway, a job that I should be doing. Is everybody with me? A job, that's, that, that's part of my job as a dad and a husband and a leader in the home, and yet I was so debilitated with pain. And I remember looking out the window as she was all bundled up in the snow, just pouring down, and she's plowing the driveway. And I never felt such guilt, such remorse. Oh, my goodness. But yet, it was unwarranted guilt. Amen. I couldn't help it. I was absolutely debilitated with pain until surgery. And so what are you saying, preacher? Sometimes you and I are going to have to deal with unwarranted guilt because we have a higher conscientiousness by being right with God. Is everybody with me? We're all going to have to deal with that at times. Guilt is paralyzing. It leaves us with a sense of debt to the person that we failed, a sense of debt to God whom we've come short of. It, it hurts us for the future. Listen, I've seen this. I'll give you several examples here. Maybe I shouldn't, but I will. I've seen elderly people 
they, as they get older, they need more attention, and they, they do need more attention. But sometimes they'll get a sickness, and they'll exaggerate that sickness so they get more attention. Are you with me? And if you don't give them more attention, they will heap guilt upon you to feed their attention. Are you all with me? And I've seen so many younger Christians who desire to take care of their parents or desire to take care of the elderly or desire to take care of someone, and they get used like that. Be careful, especially us older people. As we get older, we ought to be aware of that. Amen. And if you're a younger person, don't walk under the guilt of that and the shame and have shame because of that. Hey, I'm talking about unwarranted guilt. Don't let someone, if someone begins to heap guilt on you and make you feel bad about something, they are actually in the place of the devil. That's his job. Jesus Christ does not want to heap guilt. He wants us to free us from it. Amen. So, last thing, the cure for guilt. How many times have you repented of something and you've turned away from it, yet you still feel that remorse for it? God has already forgiven you on the basis of what Christ has done for you on the cross, but yet you feel that remorse, which is a byproduct of guilt. You feel that shame, which is a byproduct of guilt. But the Bible says this. I want you to look carefully at the cure. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And when he forgave our sin, he not only forgave our sin, he takes our guilt, he takes our shame. And if he's taken it, don't you let the devil or anybody else heap it back on you. Amen. Sin will incarcerate you, but the guilt of it will incarcerate you even further. Listen to what God says, and I'll close the message. When Jeremiah 31, I'm talking about the cure for guilt. He says this, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. If you've repented of it, forsaken it, pleaded the blood of Jesus Christ on it, determined in your heart that it was a sin and it was wrong, you won't do it again. Listen, that thing's under the blood. Move on with life. If God doesn't, isn't going to remember it anymore, then you shouldn't remember it anymore. Amen? Thank you for being here this morning. I've tried to move as fast as I could, skip several points in order to have a timely, get through in a timely manner. Every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to this part of the service, the invitation. Let me say this this morning to you as Christians. What's holding you back? What's breaking your confidence before God are you walking under this cloud of remorseful feelings over one of your mistakes or several of your mistakes and you're just living a defeated Christian life you want to be freed from that this day forward I want you right now in your seat to trust the blood of Jesus Christ Plead it over your sin. Plead it over your guilt. Plead it over your shame. Lay it on Him. And watch the Lord set you free. And He'll set you free to serve Him. He'll set you free to love Him. He'll set you free to have a deeper relationship with Him. Then for those of you who are unsaved, 
Dear friend, if you're unsaved, I have no formula for you to free yourself from guilt. If you're unsaved, I can't prescribe anything for you from the pharmaceutical. If you're unsaved, I can't tell you to go drown it in alcohol. It'll only make it worse. If you're unsaved, I can't tell you to forget about it and go have a good time, take a vacation, enjoy some recreation. I can't tell you those things. But here's what I can tell you. If you need to be saved, if you need to get rid of feelings of guilt and remorse and get rid of your sin, hey, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're unsaved, to come to Jesus Christ who will heal you, cleanse you, save you, and free you from the guilt and remorse that you feel. Would you come? Has the Lord spoken to your heart individually? I'm going to ask you to come, and by your coming, Brian's going to take you by the hand, take a Bible and bow with you and show you how you can pray a prayer, and you can be saved, and you can walk out of this church liberated, the shackles of sin broken, the chains of pain and heartache broken. Hey, you can have a relationship this morning with Jesus Christ. You can be right with God. Would you come? We wait just a moment. She's playing the song, Jesus Paid It All. We're going to sing it in just a minute. Oh, the freedom from guilt, dear sinner. That freedom from guilt will change your life. It will allow you to live the rest of your life to the fullest. That's what it means to be saved. God changes our mind. He changes our heart. He changes our circumstances. We're no longer the victim, but we become the victor.